world, and welcome to Pink Bike Podcast number four. I'm Mike Levy, your host again for this episode. They have not fired me yet. I'm here with Brian Park, my boss, Mike Casimer, my other boss, James Smurthwaite. He's been promoted. He's another boss of mine. Today, we got a full show. We're going to talk about trail bikes, which is a huge subject that ranges from short travel things that are basically little sporty XC bikes to... I mean, things that I think that are almost enduro bikes, but so that's a big one. But first, we're going to get into the news. James, take it away, please. Thanks, Mike. Um, Yeah, good for once to start with some good news, I guess, amid all the sort of corona news we've had recently. Um, But we saw Cecile Ravenel riding again and and looking fast. So Cecile, three times EDS champion, um, last February um, had a a horrific crash, broke three vertebrae uh, and uh, missed missed the entirety of last season, so um, you know I'm, I'm trying to speak for all of us when I say it, it's great to see her back. And if we get any racing this year, I'm sure she'll be right back up there again. Didn't she win like everything for multiple seasons? Yeah, three years um, yeah. undefeated. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty exceptional. How yeah. do you think? How do you think she's going to do against the ladies that have been working super hard while she's gone? Uh, I'm sure she's going to win. Yeah, she's really, really good. I would put money on her winning. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think a crash like that changes your your outlook? Casimir, you've broken your back multiple times. <laughs> I keep yeah. talking about it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Yes, but, yes I but, have. But it doesn't change. No, I don't think I'd be any slower if I happened to be as fast as the EWS person. I would be just as fast now after yeah. having recovered. So. Yeah, my money's on her coming back and winning. I think especially she's probably got at least three or four more months of recovery to go. So, yeah, with yeah. with no racing. so Plus, she can do no-handed wheelies. Like, that's an advantage. <laughs> you get plus two or three speed yeah, points. Yeah, her wheelie skills are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and speaking of racing, um, we might be starting to see some sort of green shoots of recovery here. So, the UCI have announced new dates for the Tour de France. That's happening at the end of August. And the Road World Championships which has been rescheduled to September. Um, currently, uh, you know, we've got two downhill races scheduled for September. That's Val de Sol and Leger. Plus there's a chance of other ones being rescheduled. Um, do you think we might actually get to see some racing now this year? All, all I know is that my spreadsheet world of trying to figure out who's going to go where and when is looking real scary for September, October, November. Like they're going to try and fit every single event in to about a one and a half month window if we get the green light and uh you guys are going to be traveling mike levy you get to be a photographer now i think uh yeah this, this is obviously there's still no guarantee of these races going ahead but you know it's, it's good to have something to look forward to i guess <laughs> um, i don't i don't think it's realistic i think like it's good to make plans um and if we're able to race i'd love to see racing again but i just don't i don't see it as realistic aren't they the Tour de France is, is they're thinking August. I, yeah. I can't see how, like, I want to be positive about this and I want it to happen. Obviously I want racing to come back, but like, boys, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Do we think there's a way, you know, something like a downhill race could be held without spectators and sort of behind closed doors almost? How many people watch downhill racing in person? A lot. Depends well, when the, you go to. Jay had a huge crowd, Fort William gets thousands. Well, it's also the way that, that the venues make money. What venue wants to wants to put it on if there's nobody in the hotels? Mm-hmm. 
and I do think that downhill racing has a better shot at happening than road racing because we don't have a peloton of people breathing and sweating on each other. No, not right. you don't. You don't think a downhill race is more likely to happen than like a a race traveling all over a country <laughs> involving like twenty thousand people and millions of spectators? This is a hot take. Brian, yeah. Hot take. <laughs> Um, well, either way, the UCI said they were announcing more events uh, rescheduled and otherwise um, in the in the next. Well, they said the next few days last week. We've not seen anything yet, but hopefully we'll we'll get some more news on that front soon. Um, so last week we talked about um, Ride to the Hills. We've seen a few more uh, films digitized and put out. Um, Chain Smoke and Local Knowledge. Did you do uh, your homework? I did. I watched Ride to the Hills. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, was the was, best segment? This is a this. There is a correct answer. <laughs> Uh, so I liked uh, Wade. Was it Wade Simmons who went and bought his magazine, and then the kid in the scooter like yeah. shouts at him? And yeah, that was my favorite bit yeah. for sure. Which is that the, kid's Thomas Vanerham's little brother. In case you didn't know that. So. Um, are there any other films you guys would like to see digitized from that that era? You know that, that might not be online at the moment. Oh man, I'd like to see the drop-in episode that has Brian Park in it. <laughs> That is digital. That is digital. Does that, yeah, it's available. <laughs> yeah, I just want everybody. Out. What what season is that, Brian? Uh, it's definitely season seven, episode twenty three. <laughs> <laughs> Thirteen minutes and eleven seconds in. Yeah, everybody check that out. You can see Brian. <laughs> um, cool. Let's talk about some tech then. Um, we saw something interesting from Versus. Um, the tire might have been a bit of a, a minion clone, but they're trying. Uh, sort of a, a, a direct selling model um, that we've seen bike brands such as you know, YT and, and Canyon do. Um, what do you guys think of that um, distribution model for tires, cutting out distributors and stuff? Yeah, I think it's interesting. We really haven't seen too many direct consumer tire companies. I think it's probably a lot of work to start a tire company and compete with these really massive uh, brands out there. And as long as they can get the the compound correct, that's the biggest thing for me. And the tread pattern is kind of pretty established, but it's going to just depend on yeah, how well the tires hold up, and if it saves the consumers some money, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it makes it makes a whole lot of sense. Tires, mountain bike tires, are like ridiculously expensive. There's no way you should be paying a hundred and something dollars for one mountain bike tire. I understand the costs; like, I get why they cost so much money, but it's it shouldn't be acceptable. It's ridiculous. I don't understand the costs and like the economies of scale that people trot out to say that bike tires have to cost this much more because we don't make them in the same scale that we do car tires and stuff like it just doesn't fly um there's just too many layers of of people distribution yeah too many layers of distribution um without adding value you know i think there are places that where you have to add value as a distributor and we talked about that before it makes sense but for tires just send me the tires i just want the tires i'll put them on myself i don't need service the other thing too, there's all sorts of great options out there that that aren't minions. I know it's, I know minions are great. Casimir's just raring up to to shoot me down here. I know minions are great, but there's all sorts of great stuff out there, and people don't need to spend that amount of money to get something. You can go and get a specialized tire that retails for, well, I'm in mean, Canada, retails for like literally half the price, and 95% of mountain bikers. If you were blindfolded or you didn't, not blindfolded, if you didn't know what tire was on your bike, you'd be fine. You'd be great. If you were blindfolded, you'd crash just as fast. On a <laughs> horribly. Or on a <laughs> <Yeah>. Horribly. 
<laughs> also this week, Kaz, you uh, had your Royal Madonna uh, review. It seemed like you were a big fan of that bike. Yeah, that was a great bike. It's definitely a, a lot of bike. It's not the bike for everybody. It's kind of a tank of a thing. I think I said it was ready for the apocalypse or something was the headline. But uh, for the right person, the right terrain, it's super fun. And uh, yeah, I had a good time riding that for the last few months. Where where's your, Where is it best? What's your favorite thing about it? I mean, the, my favorite thing was how that thing corners. It has a crazy low bottom bracket. I think the bottom bracket drop is 38 millimeters, somewhere around there. So either way, for that bike, it's really low, which you're climbing uphill, you'll hit your pedals a bunch. But then going down, you get a good turn, just pushing into that, it's super fun. Like you have all that travel, so you squish into that and the bottom bracket being low, it just feels like it's mm -hmm. like plastered to the wall of the berm or turn. What's your least favorite thing about it? Um, least favorite thing? I mean, it is. it can get heavy pretty quickly. Like I know... That style bike, you're not thinking about weight, but like once you put some, if you put downhill casing tires or double downs or something like that, it can start creeping up in, you know, 35 pounds or more. So it gets heavy quick. So for big, long pedally days, not ideal. But if you're just smashing bike park laps or kind of just grinding up the hill and then going back down uh, a steep trail on the other side, it's fine for that. What what category does it fit into, Kaz? Let's slot this nicely what, into a neat little bike category here. I know everyone loves that. Oh, I'd say it's an enduro bike. I mean, it's it's fast, and I would race it for sure. Like, it's tough. It'd be good for, yeah, it's, smashing it's enduro be type things. Privateer enduro bike this yeah. this year for sure. Um, Ruben definitely has more of a like ten year plus outlook on bikes versus versus the turnover you'd see on like a regular on a regular new carbon bike or a regular or a new alloy bike that's lighter. Um, yeah, he, he could definitely take another pound out of that frame if uh if he optimized it a little bit more for for weight like he dropped 150 grams from v1 to v2 he could probably drop another two three hundred grams if he d didn't put massive bearings into it but he wants to and that's yeah it, it's nice to have a bike that when all the bike shops close down and and uh there's no one to service your bike ever again because we're in the apocalypse um yeah you're just gonna keep rolling yeah, it's cool too. Like if you go on their website, they have the most comprehensive creek uh, diagnostic section of any website I've ever seen, which isn't, uh, it's anything, it's not anything about their bike really. It's just, he doesn't like noises and I hate noises too. So seeing somebody from a company actually go and publish a page that says, hey, if your bike's making noise, this is how to get rid of it. And the things that he says applies to any bike. Uh, it's pretty cool. I don't, like a lot of companies wouldn't even put that up because their bikes magically never creep, but everyone knows you ride enough, a bike will start making noise and they can be hard to chase down. So it's cool that he's just like, hey, if your bike makes noise, here how to here's how to fix it. I think that's what I like about the company itself is just how straightforward they are. Like they're really no bullshit and I can appreciate that. Like they're not pretending to be anything they're not. So. It's also freaking gorgeous. It looks good too. Mm -hmm. yeah. It might be the best looking bike we've had on the website in a long, long time. It just looks, it's very like purpose. Like you look at it and you're like, I know what that bike's for. Yeah. Like it's going to do this, which is cool. Apparently not Mike though. He had to ask you what it was for. Well, yeah, he's just he's confirming. He Kazmer, I haven't read your reviews yet. Sorry. That's fine. You can. It's on there. <laughs> I'll send you a link. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Where can I find it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would it be your only bike? Just before we move on, Kaz, would it be your only bike, or too big? It could be. No, like if I if I had to have just one bike and where I live, that could definitely be my only bike. Like again, it's not ideal for just like cruising around on mellow trails, but where I live, like a lot of times in the summer, I'm doing a lot of Whistler trips, going up to Squamish, that type of thing, um, and. I'd, this bike could be great for that and then you can still pedal it so yeah i could i could use it as the only bike i've done that in the past i had my only bike be a kind of 
bigger, burlier thing. So this could definitely uh, be a contender for that. Would you choose that over something like the YT Izzo that just was on the website a couple days ago? Uh, yeah, personally, I would. Uh, just again, it's kind of dependent riding style. You know, I like a bike that can handle the, you know, a bigger drop, a rougher terrain. Where that Izzo, at a certain point, I'd probably get a little scared uh, riding some of the things that I typically ride on that bike. Like it could do it, but I think that the raw would be a much better option for yeah, yeah, the way I like to ride. Yeah, so but that's not the it? case for most people. Yeah, it just depends where you live and what you do. Like I don't. Yeah, it's every part of the world is different, and little trail styles and riding styles vary widely. I was not expecting to enjoy that launch video as much as I did. That was quite sick. Oh, the anime one? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was cool. Like, I don't know how they budget or how you even hire someone like, hey, make us an anime video that ends with a bike in it. But it was pretty, really, yeah, it was good. Better better than the Santa Cruz video with Bryceland? Remember that one with the animation? Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Just different. And Specialized had a good one too, remember? They had yeah. Thing. yeah. Yeah. Stump Trumper I, one? I like seeing people get creative with their marketing dollars they should probably spend them on sponsoring like grassroots riders or something but anime is cool too i guess casimir is a secret anime lover you don't have to be secretive about it casimir uh, i don't know much about anime but it looked cool i looked you have up anime the... posters up all over your bedroom what are you talking about you have a body pillow an anime character body <laughs> yeah. pillow casimir yeah. what character is it <laughs> i don't know I don't what her know. name is <laughs> <laughs> she's your wife <laughs> <laughs> that was my segue. Yeah. <laughs> Someone in the comments said, I want to see Lizzo on an Izzo. That was quite funny. Yeah. H to the Izzo to see a Lizzo on the Izzo. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, YT pretty much have the, the, the gravity spectrum covered now with Jesse um, Capra Chuez. Um, and this is taking it, you know, into Mike's down country territory. Um, you just made a lot of people mad saying that word. <laughs> it does not. It is not in the down, down country category. No, it is not. No, it, it's, it's getting closer to it, but it's straight, it's a straight up trail bike for sure. A general so trail bike. Just, just to clarify something before we move on, the down country thing in my mind has always been like an XC race bike that happens to have a big wide handlebar and probably a dropper post to save your ass. Cause you have like these little skinny tires on it. Um, and I mean, that's the Izzo is definitely more of a trail bike than anything. Also, I didn't make up down country people. I just want to say that's Andreas Hessler, Dre Hessler from Rocky Mountain. He he said it years ago. Uh, but anyways, back to the Izzo. <laughs> well, but that's, so, I mean, uh, that is exactly the point, though. Tons and tons of, well, now we see even people putting down country on, on marketing things, etc. Like, those are kind of just light trail bikes um, rather than, and we struggled with categorizing those bikes at the at the field test last year where on the one hand we had things like like the Mach 4 with a with a bigger fork uh and and the F podium um which was actually no the F podium was kind of a purpose-built thing um it yeah. says down country know. on the frame how good does that make you feel <laughs> it's crazy dude <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that bike is a is probably pretty close to your original vision like when you're describing yeah. down country yeah, is. 100%. It's a 100 millimeter bike that is puts the priority on efficiency. It's got a 120 fork on it, a big wide handlebars and a dropper post and yeah. Where is that? Where is the the trail pistol and the um and the Santa Cruz were were they are just light trail bikes. And so we should probably talk about how the Izzo fits into that sort of world. I keep steering us away from the Izzo. James, <laughs> take it away on the Izzo, please. Some of the things to talk about there then is um, slightly different shock layout to what we're used to seeing from YT. 
And um, I guess the thing that a lot of people picked up on was that grip shift um, lockout system. Um, Mike, I know you wouldn't be a fan of that. Yeah, um, it just it works backwards. So Dan Roberts, our uh, European tech editor, reviewed the ISO. Uh, and he he called out they use a, a grip shift style like a barrel adjuster lockout. It's it's definitely made. It's geared more towards XC racing. The whole idea is you want to be able to lock out your fork and unlock it or your rear suspension, super quick, super easy, and using minimal energy. So the idea is you turn the barrel adjuster, but uh, the way you turn it, it's just counterintuitive. Like you have to turn it to unlock it, kind of thing. So it defaults to locked, uh, which is a little weird, a little you different. Do- you don't mean barrel adjuster. No, it's not a barrel. It's like picture like a grip shift. Yeah. Is that what I said? I said barrel. You barrel adjuster. You're like sitting there. Oh, I got to lock my bike out. <laughs> Turn my little barrel adjuster. <laughs> no, it's like it's like a grip shift shift a grip shift shifter, but it locks out your suspension. Mm-hmm. And the default Whether, position is locked, which is weird. Whereas the default yeah, position should be open. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that makes. It sense. is funny that we start seeing this this grip shift style lockout is showing up on Fox spec bikes, even though rock shocks makes the lockout mechanism. We saw that, I think and it was a Mondrake or did that have it too in the field test? It's a rock shocks lockout controlling a Fox suspension. Mm-hmm. On some of the models. Yeah. It's like, it's a rock shock sprint lock and there, you know, it works for um, other brands suspension as well. I yeah, would just you, think that's funny. You just got to pull cable. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. I guess with like a dropper post lever. Yeah. yeah. Whether or not it's a good idea that it has it, that's another another. Yeah, it seems argument. Yeah, it's a 130 millimeter bike. We'll kind of go into what what a trail bike is and that, but 130 millimeters. I don't know if that's. We'll see. All right. Well, when we when we were talking about the podcast for this week, Levy was definitely definitely all fired up about trail bikes and how they're all so different and the category is stupid and this and that. So I think we should just put him on the spot and have him explain himself. Well, I mean, the, the trail bike thing, it's such just like this huge, crazy category. It could mean, so right now, okay. So yesterday I went for a bike ride on, I have spots, 115 millimeter travel rive right now. It's got a 120 millimeter fork and they're saying it's a trail bike. And yeah, I would agree with that. I also have this deviate, deviate Highlander here. It's got 140 mils with a high pivot and idler pulley and it's, deviate says it's a trail bike, but I mean, I've ridden the piss out of that thing and it's sure feels like an enduro bike to me. So the category is just like this huge, massive thing that everything you could do, like sort of casual cross country racing on it to you could do casual enduro racing on it. They're not enduro bikes. Don't get me wrong, but it's a pretty big, confusing category. If you ask me, we definitely felt conflicted when we put the pole stamina 140 into the field test with the other trail bikes um because traditionally we we would define a bike by its its rear travel and obviously we felt it was like not necessarily an apples to apples comparison or when when it went up against the other 130 to 150 bikes so different the geo yeah 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 that thing was i mean leo leo from pole he he's done a lot of cool interesting things and that 140 millimeter travel pole, it, it ended up breaking, but it blew me away. I wanted to buy that bike. And I mean, I don't say that about a lot of test bikes. And he said that thing was as quick in a lot of places and some places quicker than the 180 millimeter travel stamina, which is crazy, crazy. Yeah, I, mean, I don't feel bad about putting it in the trail category, though. I mean, it had a 140 millimeter bike up front, so that travel, you know, just because it has 
geometry that's going to be the norm in a few years, I don't think you can say, oh, it's not a trail bike, it's enduro because of the head angle. You know, I think that's what makes this confusing. There's so many weird little nerdy details we can go over to categorize bikes, but, um, you know, it's kind of what the part of it comes down to what the company builds it for and how they spec it. It's obviously, you know, a lot of these bikes you could take and put bigger tires or over fork it and say it's your enduro bike, but I think it's good to start and just look at what its original purpose was for, at least initially, you know. So defining a bike category, though, I think it, I mean, there's a reason to do this. I know it makes, it makes people mad when we say like, this is the category that it fits into. And I can, I can understand that, but it, it's very useful too. So Casimir, what if I put you on the spot right now and I said, define a trail bike for me? Uh, yeah, for me, I'd say a trail bike tends to be less than 140 millimeters of rear travel, probably up front too, same like 140, even the 150 is pushing it a bit for the fork travel mount. Um, mm-hmm. And then geometry numbers, I'm not quite as concerned about just because we're seeing that shift so much. For, so for me, I tend to categorize bikes, at least in my mind, more by the amount of travel they have, you know. Yeah. So for me, I would say, do I want to sit on this bike and pedal it for four or five hours? Do I want to do a 5,000, 6,000 foot day? If I do, it's probably a trail bike. And if I don't, it's probably something else, <laughs> an enduro bike or whatever, you know. Uh, for, for me, a trail bike is how much... Uh, you care about the climbing versus the descending. So if, and a trail bike to me should be 50-50. Um, it's, it's, you, they've paid attention to how it goes up. They've paid attention to how it goes down. Um, Wouldn't that be cross-country bike? I think trail bike should be 60-40. I think that no cross-country bike, they're, they care 50% as much about how it goes down. They just don't. They're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> cross-country, I mean, like up, down, up, down. And then trail ride is like also up or like you you spend way more time on the climb, so the climbs matter more. You know, (laughs) no, it's it's how much how much do you care about the performance in that part of the ride? So on a trail bike, it it is biased towards the descent because it isn't just time based. You only spend a minute descending for every ten minutes climbed, um, but it's you care about the climbs and descents equally on your trail bike. So the, it is already weighted towards the descents a little bit. Um, and you know, on a, on a enduro bike, it's, it's probably 70% descending 30% efficiency climbing, etc. Um, and on an XC bike, it's 30, 70, um, or 20, 80, you know, <laughs> so much science going on. <laughs> yeah. And it's all in my brain. It's all just calibrated. <laughs> I know. Everybody should just yep. call me. You yeah. want me to define your what bike? Do I have Brian? <laughs> yeah. So you guys don't like my uh, my category? Uh, well, the the problem the problem though is that everybody's descents are so different. Like I live here in Squamish, and I go out and ride some trail on an XC bike, and you know the descent it's amazing, but it almost kills me. <laughs> you know my my little XC cross country bike, and then I go maybe you know two hundred kilometers east, and I ride a descent, and it's perfect for my XC bike. And James, you're in the UK. You know, it, the stuff is different everywhere, so it's hard to hard to define these things. Is there like a left-hand muddy rut specific category <laughs> now? <laughs> it's got to be in a field. Bunny hop over logs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the hardest part about a trail bike is because it's such a broad category because it is what, it's, I mean, it's kind of what mountain bikes started as, just your bike that does everything. And so then saying, trying to, you know, pigeonhole a bike, say this is just for this, that's when it gets confusing. Yeah, it is. It is exactly what they used to be. These things all used to be just, just trail bikes. So, looking up some, doing my homework for this episode, I went back and Vernon Felton wrote a 
an article for us about the evolution of the specialized enduro. And he had a quote in there from them in 2000 for their enduro. The side note, it had 100 millimeters of travel back then, their enduro. But their quote was, long travel version of our cross-country bike, which this is in 2000. I mean, that sounds, that sounds like a trail bike to me. Ah, yes, that long travel 100 mil bike. Yeah. <laughs> Different times. I think you could get it with rear travel from 97 millimeters to like 115 millimeters. Maybe. But that, yeah, to me, that's the problem. It. To me, that's the problem with saying, defining category to what like has did with travel. Um, and what's wrong, same with, with head tube angle, because both of those things are going to change over time. But you can say like, is it, did they, it, was it about climbing and descending equally or, or was it about, xc racing you know i just want the best of everything i want a bike that climbs like an xc race bike and descends like an enduro bike sounds like you're getting an e-bike sounds like i'm getting a bionicon <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened to them i don't know they're probably still around yeah, they still they have those, a booth at your bike every year <laughs> just imagine like all that bullshit i write about how much i hate about lockouts <laughs> it's like pushing buttons at the top (laughs) all these clear hoses and shit running everywhere to be fair bionicon i've never ridden one of your bikes feel free to send me one i would love to try it and i'm happy to eat my words i always am so what you you have enough practice yeah i've been wrong a lot we all have we're all wrong a lot the difference is i'm happy to admit it that's good you have strong moral character that i definitely do not So what is what is the solution here with trail bikes? Do we need to define these things? Does there need to be a defined thing for consumers to say so they can walk into a bike shop and say, what I need is a trail bike? Like, does that, does it matter? Does it need to be defined? I think so. I, I think that it's a, it's a cop out to go, bikes are just bikes and you should be able to def- understand what a bike's about just by looking at the numbers, um, you know, for in industry people and you know i'm sure that you can look at a bike and it's it's geo chart um and go have a pretty good idea of what it's for but it doesn't help people who are trying to make apples to apples comparisons either in a bike shop or online or understand like i deal with this in motorcycles so i'm not a moto guy at all and i bought a motorcycle last year a couple years ago and I was so confused to start about like, what, what is this one for? Like, what is this other one for? And I have no idea. And what's the difference between adventure and enduro and dual sport and all these things. And they've got a billion categories and I'm sure that new people to the sport coming to mountain biking get, but would be even more lost if there weren't categories at all. So I don't know. I, I just feel like it's, it is important for people to be able to make apples to apples comparisons. It just, it's also when brands try and make a fake category so they can like be category redefining or whatever. Like downcountry? Uh, like, well, no, that was a grassroots effort. Or no, yeah. that was a media conspiracy. <laughs> that was a tongue in cheek media conspiracy that people took too seriously. <laughs> and now it's showing up on bikes. <laughs> yeah. That adventure category, the motorcycle adventure category. Maybe we should steal that. We could ride adventure bikes. Oh, right. Like, I'm going adventure. I feel like Salsa already does that. They've already yeah, yeah. Road bikes have that. I don't know if I've got a grammar bike or an adventure bike, but I was researching both and that ended up with something. Is that a, would it be a trail bike with panniers on it, Casimir? 
don't know what panniers are, but panniers are a thing. Uh, maybe that would be it. Yeah. Why do, why do <laughs> no, you guys I'm insist with, on I'm pointing out every single thing that I say <laughs> wrong, every single thing I mispronounce, whether it's people's last names, like, or just leave me alone. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just been working in shops so many years and having these guys come in with their socks and sandals on asking where the panniers are. They're like, no, panniers are over there in the corner. I need an SRAM derailleur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's derail your, derail your stanchions. Yeah. Say say stanchions for me, Casimir. Say it how you say it. Stanchions? Yeah, okay. I like mine yeah. better. There's no K in the word. <laughs> no, it's a CH. Stank. Now, how, what, be that, you say ch after Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right, we've come to the trouble. conclusion that basically we have to have categories it makes sense to sell these bikes. It makes it easier for people to understand. Um, of course, we need to have categories. But at the same time, I think consumers get angry when they see these names being used to sell them, you know, to, to push the bikes as like marketing catchphrases and, and things like that. Hey, guys, what's the difference between XCX, Super XC and Super Marathon bikes? A super marathon bike is a three-ring bike meant to tour the Alps. How is that different from, from Super XC, though? Oh, Super XC is like a Super D bike, except it has a shorter travel fork on the front. And XCX, that's extreme... <laughs> Cyclocross? <laughs> Shit! <laughs> I think it's cross-country extreme. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had it backwards, didn't I? And that's Cannondale back, cross-country extreme. That's the, a few years ago with the, what was it? The scalpel. Was it? Who was Super XC and Super Marathon? Those are like 90s or early 2000s. Oh, Super XC. Well, one of them was Rocky Mountain. I forget which one. And that was, both the Cannondale and the Rocky Mountain are not that old. Like, that was like 2010 for the Rocky, 2009. I mean, a lot of this is marketing people trying to make their bikes seem new and exciting. And then, you know, a new word is what, I mean, that's why there's advertising agencies that try to think up catchphrases. And so we're shitting, we're shitting on people other. for doing their jobs. That's what you're yeah. saying. Oh, no, they can, they deserve to be made fun of. I mean, yeah, if you make a silly phrase, we're going to make fun of it. But, you know, again, it is their job to try to decide how this new bike is better than the last one, even if it's really similar and falls in the exact same category as it was before. But that, so that that is the why consumers roll their eyes at all these new categories, because there is... We do probably need to split these categories up because it is silly that 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 spot you're riding is going to get compared to that deviate or the pole stamina 140. Like they they have no business being compared to each other. Um, so we're well, gonna have. I want to know what the difference is. So the I think difference the is are, huge. The difference yeah, is, but you know, huge. like I think it's you can compare anything to anything, but you could just say something's a light trail bike. We've seen that suggested mm -hmm. before. And, some of that makes sense. That's, what about this, Casimir? So I spent a ton of time on the Santa Cruz Tallboy. It's got 120 mils. And I got this Rive, the Spot Rive, 150 mils. I mean, that's only five millimeters difference. I want to say the head angle's a degree. But on the trail, like those bikes, like that Tallboy might as well be an enduro bike compared to the Rive. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting thing to hear about. You know, like as a consumer, if you step back and you're like, well, they look the same on paper. I want to know the difference. And if I can't test ride one, I'd like to have someone compare them, you know, and explain why, like, where's that difference coming from? Yeah. It makes more sense to compare things that are closer. Um, yeah. And it, it used to be that all bikes were within a couple degrees of each other. And now there's such a variation, even within things that are supposed to be in the same category, that 
I don't think that the the deviate versus the the spot is a useful comparison. I don't think somebody's going out and deciding between those two bikes. No. So how would you how would you slice it up then, Brian? How would you take the trail bike pie and divvy it up? Uh, I'm all for clarity. I would go with like trail, uh, and then on the left side of it, I'd go light trail, and on the right side of it, I'd go aggressive trail because you know, <laughs> you know what those two things ATF. are. What's TF? That's a trail. AT. Oh, AT. Yeah. There you go. It does need yeah, to have more acronyms. acronyms are better. Yeah. yeah. LT means long travel. AT means all travel. <laughs> XT <laughs> means extra travel. <laughs> Did you already talk about the um, the Nikolai press release with ST? No. Okay. So it's my favorite. Um, I did an interview with Carl Nikolai last week, and I had to remind him of my favorite marketing blurb ever, which in, they launched a bike called the Saturn ST, and they used to have ST meant something else. Um, and so in their press release, they were like, some people may be confused because ST now means super travel, and it used to mean super trail. Uh, we understand this is confusing, but we couldn't think of anything better. We're not very good at marketing. We're engineers. <laughs> that was like in the press release. <laughs> it was so good. We're German. <laughs> yeah. Well, appreciate the honesty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of become their own little marketing thing. It's like anti-marketing. I think Transition sort of does that too. They poke, like their marketing is making fun of other marketing as well too. It's clever. Yeah. There's a lot of things to make fun of, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all just bikes and we're debating the, the nuances of millimeters of travel, which from the outside perspective is really silly. But just imagine yeah. a, a non-cyclist listening to this podcast right now and there's just four dudes like, no guys, I think a trail bike is 123 <laughs> millimeters of travel and a 68.2 degree head angle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We're dorks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just another way to sell bikes. There, there are good reasons to have categories and bad reasons to have categories. Not everything needs to like change the game where where are we going to be in 10 years levy well i think i think it's the obvious answer is we're seeing everything go more capable we're seeing trail bikes become enduro bikes we're seeing a lot of these light fast trail bikes are really just sort of like warmed over and revamped cross-country bikes with different angles um so i mean trail bikes are going to go enduro and down country bikes are going to go trail and I mean, it sort of looks like everything might just shift over a little bit. We are going to add some things in there too, for sure. Like new categories? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think, I think we will, just to have things to have people talk about valid comparisons. Yeah. So you're you're making up a new category? I don't want soon. to. I'm describing, not advocating. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but like, oh. you can't have you can't have all of your trail bikes all of a sudden be as capable as five years ago's enduro bikes and Why not? not slot something in underneath no you can it's just that that isn't what people will, are going to want in yeah. iowa i mean enduro bikes now are lots of them things are you know basically nearly as capable as a downhill bike especially for a lot of riders you know not for world cup pros but right but so that's how it's going to work though like you can't just have you can't just have everything move over and not add anything in. They will get they will get broken up more. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I like that the category is huge and that there's you could you could pick a trail bike to 
race competitive cross country on or even do some enduro racing on. And it comes down to, I think, uh, consumers educating themselves and people in bike shops as well, too. People on the sales floors knowing the difference and uh, people knowing what they want. You know, I don't, I don't think it is that confusing. I know I'm looking, I'm, I'm on the inside, but I don't, it doesn't seem all that confusing to me to figure out what kind of trail bike you would want. Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to just, again, like you said, you know, local shops should be able to help out people knowing what kind of terrain they ride, what kind of terrain they want to ride, uh, you know, whether they want a bike for their everyday rides or they want the bike specifically for their bike park adventures or Red Bull Rampage. It just kind of depends on, yeah, just kind of, you consume, you know, the, if you're shopping for a bike, you just have to ask yourself what you want to do with it most of the time. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people too end up on a hell of a lot of bike. They end up on on more bikes. Maybe that's a topic for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's your favorite subject. But <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's a favorite subject of mine, but let's travel. True, though. People definitely, definitely buy bikes that are not for the majority they're riding. And there's and a theory I mean, to it. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you want to buy a bike that makes you feel like a rock star when you want to feel like a rock star. And most people want to feel like a rock star on the descents. It makes complete sense. There's a guy in my local trails that rides an intense M9 as his cross-country bike. He's probably in his later 50s, but he wants to be really comfortable on the descents. Yeah. And I see him pedaling it up and then going down on some trails yeah. that would be very trail bike appropriate. Dude, I used to have a orange 222, 223, and a 224. I specifically had them because they had full-length seat tubes. So I could yeah. run a full-length seat post, put it up, and climb on it. Mm-hmm. Ahead of my time. Scoper. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> I had a dropper post on my demo, so I could pedal it. Oh, a scoper? No, actually, I had a dropper, like an early KS, the one that had the, the lever under the seat. Oh, yeah. There was no routing for the dropper post. So you could just reach under the seat and then drop it. And then uh, We were making trail bikes before there were trail bikes. We were making yeah, trail we bikes were. out of downhill bikes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were worse for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have covered trail bikes from front to back. I think I'm going to go ride on a trail bike now. I'm not sure if it's going to be the short travel spot or the long travel deviate, but it's going to be on a trail bike. If you guys have a topic that you want to hear us talk about, uh, bike reviews, favorite bikes, least favorite bikes, where we like to ride, anything you guys want to hear us talk about, put it in the comments below uh, within reason. Keep it bike related and we'll chat about it. See you guys next week. 